Thank you, Spirit of Grace, for leading us in worship today. Today's scripture lessons come to us from Mark's Gospel, chapter 2, beginning at verse 13, reading through verse 6 of chapter 3. You may follow along in your own Bible, the Pew Bible, or simply on the screen if you like. Today we continue our sermon series, When Kingdoms Collide, and how it is that the kingdom of God comes to earth through Jesus Christ and collides with the kingdoms of this world. We begin reading Mark chapter 2, verse 13, the calling of Levi. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus questioned about fasting. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, How is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot, so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No. He pours new wine into new wineskins. Lord of the Sabbath. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Another time he went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. And then Jesus said to them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. 
He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Here ends the reading of God's holy word. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord remains forever. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Oh God, we come before you today recognizing again our incredible need for grace, for Jesus, for you. Sometimes our hearts are calloused and our minds are closed. Would you open our minds and tenderize our hearts today? Help us, God, to hear the still, small voice of your Spirit. Anoint this message. Anoint the messenger. Anoint us all as we listen and hear what it is that you are saying to us, even Grace Church today. Come, Holy Spirit, come. We pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Brothers and sisters loved by God, have you ever gotten into trouble with the long arm of the law? Yeah, have you ever gotten a traffic ticket, a citation? Have you ever been arrested? Some of you remember I got caught for speeding some years ago by the traffic cameras in Cedar Rapids, both coming and going to Iowa City. It's an expensive lesson. At least I've never been arrested or convicted of a crime, at least not yet. But it may surprise you to learn that Jesus had trouble with the law. No, he wasn't caught for speeding on his donkey. He didn't get, into, uh, didn't get any traffic tickets that we know of. He didn't have issues with the civil authorities, at least not yet in his ministry. Jesus got into trouble with the religious laws and leaders of his day. For Jesus' biggest beef was not with sinners or prostitutes or tax collectors or thieves or adulterers, but with religious people. Maybe even people like you and me. My name is Levi. Many people just call me Matthew. Maybe you've read the book that I have written that is in your Bible today. I am a proud follower of Jesus Christ. But it wasn't always that way, for I, like many people, have a past. I was a tax collector. You know, the IRS man. Did you get your taxes done yet? 
They're coming up. They're due. I was despised by people for what I did. It's not that being a tax collector was so terrible, although those Jews, they thought I was a traitor because I was working for the Roman government. People saw me as a liar and a cheat, and you know what? They were right. For I, like many tax collectors, had a notorious reputation for ripping people off. I often charged too much. I had a tax collector's booth, a toll booth, on the road from Damascus through Capernaum down to the seaside of the Mediterranean. It was a lucrative business because it was a busy road. Maybe you've seen toll booths. I worked in that one, and I made a lot of money. But it wasn't always honestly. Honestly, I felt guilty for what I was doing, for the profession that I had. I knew that something needed to change within me. And that's when it happened. Jesus came along on that road, kind of out of the blue. I didn't expect it. It was sort of an ordinary day like any other, but there he was, this this Jewish rabbi that I had heard about. There were a lot of rumors going around about him and what he had done. It was Jesus, and he looked at me, stopping at my tax collector's toll booth. And he looked me in the eye and he said, follow me. I wasn't sure how to respond. But he spoke with such authority. I thought, maybe this is my chance. Maybe this is the day when my life can turn around. I'm not sure what took hold of me, but I I immediately stood up and I left all of the money, all of the taxes that I had collected, I left them there on the booth. Anybody could have taken them. I got up and I followed Jesus. I had no idea that that same night we would wind up around the table in my house. Jesus insisted on it. He said, I want to go to your house tonight, Levi. Let's have supper at your place. And then he went on to say, but go ahead and invite all of your friends, as many as you can, as many as can make it. Bring them too. Invite your tax collector friends. And I said, Jesus, but my tax collector friends, they're not always so honest. Jesus, I have some friends that are kind of seedy. They're probably friends you wouldn't approve of. Jesus said, invite them anyway. He said, I want to know you and your friends. And there we were. Jesus, his disciples, a bunch of tax collectors, sinners, prostitutes, adulterers, people whom I had known from the dark side, and me, Levi, eating with Jesus and his disciples, laughing, having a good time, enjoying great food. It was a blast. We were having fun. The only people that weren't having fun were the Pharisees. 
Those religious leaders that were standing at the door and kind of watching us as people were coming in and wondering what's going on at Levi's house. Why they even approached some of Jesus' disciples and they said, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Doesn't he know our religious laws? Why these are unseemly people. Jesus, a rabbi, should have nothing to do with those kind. But Jesus chose to eat at my table. Jesus invited me and my friends to join him. You know, eating together is a sign of friendship, a sign of welcoming. Apparently, Jesus is a friend of sinners. And then he piped up and he said, knowing what those Pharisees were thinking, he said, I have not... He said, the sick are the ones who need a doctor, not the healthy. And he went on to say, I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners. And Jesus called us, yes, he did, to be friends with him. Much to the chagrin of those Pharisees. Shalom. My name is Simon. Yep, that's right. I was one of the first disciples whom Jesus called that day along the shores of Galilee. We were fishing, my brother Andrew and I, out in the boat when Jesus called us. He looked at us, ordinary fishermen. I couldn't believe it. And he said, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And then we went on, and he called James and John. They were in the boat with their father Zebedee, and they dropped their nets to follow Jesus too. Zebedee was not very happy. But I had a front row seat to see Jesus in action, casting out demons, healing sickness and disease, preaching and teaching marvelous things, with such authority we had never heard before. It was amazing. Jesus was growing in popularity and people were following him all around just to get a glimpse, to hear his words, to maybe see a miracle. Everybody seemed to love Jesus. Well, everybody that is except those Pharisees. Why, they came up to to us one day. I could hear them talking with, with Jesus. And they said, why don't your disciples fast like those of the Pharisees, like we do? Or uh, those of John over there, why they fast. Your disciples don't, Jesus. What's, what's wrong with you? Well, Jesus did teach us and show us how to fast, but... We didn't fast as rigorously as the Pharisees. I guess we just didn't measure up. We didn't fit in to their system of piety. 
But what Jesus said in response was so interesting. We still think about it and talk about it today. Jesus looked at those Pharisees and he said, the guests of the bridegroom do not fast when the bridegroom is with them. He said, no, the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken away and then they will fast, but when he's with them, there's no fasting. It was as if Jesus were saying to us that that he were a kind of bridegroom coming and we were like guests, uh, wedding attendants. And that this was a time to celebrate because Jesus himself was with us. It was as if Jesus were saying, this is a time for joy because I am with you. And then he went on to say that that no one takes a a new piece of cloth and and patches up an old wineskin with it because when he sews it, it's just going to shrink and it'll make the tear worse and spill all of the wine out. And then Jesus went on to say, nobody takes new wine and puts it into old wineskins. No, he takes new wine, puts it into new wineskins so that both will be preserved. It was kind of a weird thing. It was as if Jesus were saying, a new day is dawning. As if to say, I and the kingdom of God cannot, we will not be contained into your old religious systems and structures. We're just not going to fit into your rules, you Pharisees, you religious people. It was as if Jesus were making a powerful statement about who he was. But the Pharisees were not pleased. My name is Asher, and I am a Pharisee. That is, I am a member of an elite group of Jews who oversee the keeping of religious laws. You better do the right thing because we are watching you. We have 613 laws, religious rules, that you must follow. We are the pious ones. We are the religious ones trying to keep and uphold the the, the laws of God. And I mean, if we don't, who will? This world is falling apart. Somebody's got to take a stand. People respect us, Pharisees. They look up to us as religious experts, and you, you better too, because we're watching you. People come to us for advice, religious instruction, how to live, how to know God. 
we can help you. Well, most people respect us. Then there's that new Jewish rabbi, Jesus. What are we going to do with him? He doesn't seem to care at all about our laws. He just seems to flout our laws and do whatever he wants. One day I even saw him and his disciples out just walking kind of through a grain field. It was the Sabbath day, and they were picking heads of grain and, and, and rubbing them together and, and eating them on the Sabbath. Can you believe that? We have strict rules about harvesting and threshing on the Sabbath day. The Sabbath day is a day of rest. It says right in the Bible. And Jesus and his disciples could care less. I went up to Jesus. I said, how is it that you and your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? You should know better, Jesus. You are a rabbi. That's what you call yourself anyway. I was livid. And you know what he said? He said, oh, uh, remember David? You know, your David from the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, how he, when he was hungry, he went into the temple of God and took some of the consecrated bread that was reserved only for the priest, and he ate it because he was hungry, and he gave some to his companions? Jesus was right. There is a story like that in the Hebrew Scriptures. But then he went on to say, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. As if to say, the Sabbath is, is a gift to man from God, and not that man should serve the Sabbath and become a slave to it, and then he said this, the most audacious comment. He said, the Son of Man, referring to himself, is even Lord of the Sabbath. I thought, who are you, Jesus, to say that you are the Son of Man, the Son of God, and that you are Lord? Who do you think you are? This Jesus. He is bad news. He doesn't care at all about our religious systems. He's got to go. My name is Yusuf. I was born with a crippled disfigured hand I was made fun of by the other children they laughed at me they pointed as I grew up adults mocked me they kind of stayed away because I was different because I was handicapped but I am a Jew I went to the synagogue to worship I didn't even know that Jesus was going to be there that day but he saw me, and he said, stand up. 
And as he looked around at all of those who were in the synagogue that day, he could see that among him were religious leaders, Pharisees, teachers of the law, scribes, and a bunch of religious people. And they were all looking at Jesus to see what he would do, for they had strict laws about healing on the Sabbath. And Jesus knowing what they were thinking. He turned to them and he said, he said to the whole group, he said, you tell me what's right. To do good on the Sabbath or to do evil? To save life or to kill? Nobody dared to answer Jesus, but they all knew the right answer. And then Jesus looked at me And he said, stretch out your hand. And I did. And I was healed. In an instant, Jesus gave me the use of my hand. He gave me my hand back. He He gave me my my life back. This Jesus, who's marvelous. And also in that instant, the Pharisees looked at each other and they stormed out of the synagogue. And they met with the Herodians, those Jews that support Herod's dynasty, and they began plotting how to kill Jesus. Jesus gave me life. And all the Pharisees could think about was how to kill. I guess that's what religion does. Each of the four stories has three components, three common components. First, Jesus or his disciples break with some religious rule. They eat with and befriend sinners. They don't fast like the Pharisees think they should. They pick a little grain to eat on the Sabbath. They heal. Jesus heals a a man on the Sabbath in the synagogue. Second, the Pharisees and religious people express their criticism, their disgust with Jesus and his disciples for breaking their religious rules. Why, Jesus, this man hangs out with notorious sinners, tax collectors of all people. Shame on him. Jesus' disciples aren't fasting. They're not really pious. They're not very religious. They're not honoring Sabbath rules. Thirdly, Jesus rebukes the Pharisees, these religious people, with words of truth and life. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've come to call sinners, not the righteous. Why should guests fast when the bridegroom is present? No, new wine requires new wineskins. Sabbath was not made for man, but man for the Sabbath. The Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Which is lawful, to give life or to kill? What's going on here? What does it all mean? How do we put it all together? 
three key observations, three key truths. Number one, Jesus flouted religion and routines. Are you a religious person? Jesus wasn't. Jesus was not interested in religion. He was not interested in systems of do's and don'ts and laws and legalisms and rituals and routines. Jesus was interested in life. Jesus knows that religion kills and stifles and diminishes and destroys your relationship with God, suffocating you, restricting Jesus wants a relationship, not your religion. He even said in Mark 7, a little bit later in this gospel, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. It is it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And I think of all of the times that I've sat or stood in church and I've sang the words to a hymn or to a song on the screen and my heart was a million miles away. I was merely going through the motions. Maybe you too. For Samuel 16 tells us that man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And the question I ask today is what's in your heart? What's in your heart? You can go through the motions. You can attend church and services and small groups. You can read your Bible daily. You can even fall on your knees and pray. But if you don't do it with a love in your heart, it becomes worthless. It's a bunch of duty and discipline. The Pharisees comprised 613 rules. And Jesus comes along and says, you only need two. Love God and love others. God doesn't want your religion. He wants a relationship. Jesus flouted religion. Number two, Jesus faced criticisms. We've come to a turning point in the Gospel of Mark. It should not surprise us that this kingdom of God comes with great conflict, with resistance. Not everybody in this world is going to rejoice and stand up and applaud the coming of the kingdom of God because it upsets our life, our routines, our rituals, our religion. It's no wonder the author of Ephesians writes, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Some versions say against powers and principalities of powers. That is to say religious systems that oppress and suck the life out of people and kill the kingdom of God comes with great spiritual warfare. It is most intense. Why do you think the demons shrieked when being cast out? Why do you think there's so much resistance to a Christian worldview? 
Why do you think life is so hard? Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. The kingdom of God is going to collide with the kingdoms of this world. There will be conflict. And if there isn't any conflict in your life, we must ask ourselves, are we really living the kingdom of God? Or have we become friends with the world? Number three, not only has Jesus flouted religion and Jesus faced criticisms, but thirdly, Jesus fought for life and liberty. Was Jesus a conservative or a liberal? Religious right like to bash liberals, those liberals. The truth is, Jesus was a liberal. Jesus fought for life and liberty for all of the oppressed and imprisoned. Those who often found themselves being ostracized, marginalized, crushed down by the weight of society's secular structures of religion and rules and government. Jesus wasn't immoral, don't hear what I'm not saying, but he was definitely a liberal in the truest sense of the word. He fought to liberate people from the oppressive systems of this world whether that be ostracized sinners, handicapped folks, people like you and me. Jesus sought to free people from a system of rules and rituals about who was in and who was out. Jesus broke from the established traditions and customs he didn't fit in. Jesus didn't keep the rules. He distinguished between God and religious systems and nations. He affirmed life and liberty in himself, in Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life, he said. He wasn't a Democrat, but he wasn't a Republican either. He affirmed life at every turn. He would not let the kingdom of God get all mixed up in religion or politics or nationalism or systems that oppress people. Jesus sought dignity, healing, salvation for all people, and especially the sinner. Jesus said, I have come so that you may have life and have it abundantly. What about you? How is Jesus challenging your religion, our religion? Maybe in your mind you have a list of rules. You have certain boxes and you put people in those boxes. Maybe there's a certain list of things that you do and don't do on the Sabbath, on Sundays. Maybe there's laws and legalisms that you strive to uphold and things are very black and white in your world. Maybe it's more about keeping up appearances versus what's in your heart. Maybe you are going through the motions of your faith 
And it has become a duty, a discipline, a routine, a ritual, a religion. And Jesus shows us today, through four stories, all making the same point, that the kingdom of God cannot and will not be contained into the old wineskins of religion. Your religion is no longer sufficient. Jesus breaks the mold, and so must we. Religion kills, it excludes, it diminishes, it judges, it restrains. On the other hand, Jesus gives life. He includes, He embraces, He builds up, He affirms, He accepts, He forgives. For the kingdom of God is about joy and peace and freedom and life in the Spirit. I think so often Christians and churches are known for what they are against. And this should never be. We of all people must be known for what we are for. And may Grace Church continue to be a church that is for life and freedom in Jesus and in Him alone. No system, no government is going to give us that freedom. Only Him. Lord and God, we come before you today to just say, Lord, we are sorry because there are so often times where we would tend to devise all of our rules and and religion and rituals, laws and legalisms, much like the Pharisees of old. We like to have things that are black and white where we can check the boxes and we can know who's in and who's out. And all the while we do it, just like the Pharisees, believing that we are defending you, God. And then along comes Jesus. And he shatters the boxes. And he shatters our categories. And he actually calls us not to a code of conduct, not to a bunch of rules, but to himself to walk in fellowship with Him each and every day that we might find life in His name. And to that end, Lord, we pray that You will work in our hearts, in our lives, in our church, in our nation, in our world. Empower us to be the people that You want us to be. Thank You, Jesus, for who You are a life-giving God. Amen.
Thank you for blessing us, Amanda, with your talents. And uh, what a beautiful song. My heart needs a surgeon. My soul needs a friend. Amen? Uh, we have that in Jesus. Thank God. We welcome all who are visiting today. What a great joy to have visitors with us, as always. Uh, many of you were at our Valentine's dinner and movie night last night. What a great evening was had, and we thank all of you for coming out. I understand there was some leftover dessert that some of you got this morning. Did you save me a piece of chocolate eclair dessert? I love that stuff. That is so good. And, uh, but a big thank you to those who helped coordinate it and plan it. I know that that includes Kelly Price and Malia Warrior and Dan helping serve and Sarah uh, helped out as well. Norma Boltzma as well. And thank you so much for all of those who took part in the evening and those who planned it and prepared it. Kelly? And Linda. Linda's back there. Yep. Thank you, Linda, for helping. And uh, so all of just a really great time. So thank you for that. And um, what a blessing. Let us now run to the Father in prayer. Oh God, we come before you as broken people, as people who need you, not as people who have it all together, not as people who stand above others or in judgment over others, but as people who are saved by grace, your amazing grace. Let us fall into that grace again today as we are reminded that our heart needs a surgeon and our soul needs a friend and that Jesus is the friend of sinners and he is like the doctor who has come to heal the sick. And so God, as we gather before you today and with one another, we readily confess that we are not the people that you have called us to be. We have a long ways to go. But we are grateful that you never give up on us. You never give up on us. Thank you, God, for your grace, for the presence of your spirit, for your forgiveness, for the life that we have in Jesus. Today, Lord, we think of many who are in need of this special care, those who are sick, those who are battling cancer, and treatments, those who are recovering and dealing with strokes, those who are shut in, widows and widowers, those who are grieving, those who are lonely and find themselves alone. Even on this weekend, be with all who are single. May we know that your love extends to us as well. Thank you, Lord, for the ministry that we share together as a church, for the children and youth that we can touch and reach with your love each and every Wednesday, for the small groups as we gather and explore what it means to love others better and to love you first. Thank you, God, for the many ministries that we carry out, for our worship opportunities on Sunday morning, 
for the many talents and gifts that you have given to Grace Church. We pray for your continued blessing, continued growth, renewal, revitalization. Bring healing to this troubled nation. Be with those in leadership. Be with our president. Be with those in all levels of government as they guide and lead people. May they do so with a conscience for you. Bring healing to this nation, Lord. Bring healing to this world. As we watch the Olympics, we see nations coming together. What a great thing. Kind of reminds us of the kingdom of God, what it was intended to be, a kingdom of unity with diversity, a kingdom of peace, reconciliation, and truth. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Fill us, heal us, renew us, we pray. For it is all about Jesus. He is the one that we worship and celebrate today and every day. In your holy name we pray it. Amen. Please stand and join Spirit of Grace for a closing song of affirmation. Make it count, leave a mark, build a name for yourself. Dress your dream, chase your heart above all else. Make a name the world remembers. But all an empty world can sell is empty dream. Got lost in the light, but it was up to me to make a name the world remembers. But Jesus is the only name to remember. And I, I don't want to leave a legacy. I don't care if they remember me. Only Jesus. I have only got one life to live. I'll add every second point to Him, only Jesus. All the kingdoms built, all the trophies won, crumble into dust when it's said and done. Cause all that really matters, did I live the truth to the ones I love? Was my life the proof there is only one Whose name will last forever I, 
I don't want to leave a legacy. I don't care if they remember me. Only Jesus. But I, I've only got one life to live. I'll let every second point to Him. Only Jesus. in Christ. He is a new creation. The old is gone, and the new has come. Jesus said, new wine requires new wineskins. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the fellowship, and the power of His Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen.